Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. All right, my friends, there's a couple things I told you we would get to today here as we get to the end of the week. I know it is hard to believe that it's already the end of the week, uh, but there, there's a couple things I told you we'll touch on. But before we do that today, um, I feel like the place we have to start, we have to start is... Just kind of a synopsis of what the radical left's proposals, arguments, um, tantrums, I guess, what those have amounted to when we're looking at the next step for this Roe versus Wade showdown. And there's a couple things we've hit on, a couple of things that have developed, a couple of things we predicted, which of course are not hard to predict when you're Dealing with people, again, the radical left, folks. This is the godless radical left. Government is God for these folks. I'm telling you, the sooner we all accept and believe that, the more we're going to be able to, able to interpret and understand these things a whole lot better. But um, they're not hard to predict many times because they've, I mean, just, just again, picture how picture how disappointed that they are. Um, just try to understand for a moment. I mean, they endured four years of President Trump, right? They endured that. They endured Republican Congress. They watched when, with glee, when Trump lost the Republican Congress, <clears throat> but they were still terrified of Trump. And they screamed at the universe every year on Inauguration Day. Um, they screamed at the universe, well, probably every day just for the fact that Trump was was president and in office. And so they put everything they had, everything that they had, into the 2020 election. And, of course, we know what happens there. But then, then nothing. You look at what's happened. Nothing good has happened. Nothing that they thought, that they assumed would happen just by Trump being removed from the White House and having Biden be instated as president. Nothing has gone the way it's supposed to go. In fact, in these, just think, in less than a year and a half, less than a year and a half, people are flocking, flocking from Biden, from the Democrats, from the radical left, and moving towards Republicans, towards conservatives. And again, this job is far from over because there's an election coming up, and we've got to get to the polls and actually see it through the election, but um, this is what these folks have endured. And then on top of all that, imagine, imagine if something that you held to be absolutely true, absolutely true, everything fell into place for your worldview to be able to be implemented as, I guess, policy across this great nation and everything collapses. It is it is so bad they cannot even deny it. It is unavoidable 
the inflation, supply chain problems, problems along the border, you know, Ukraine war, Afghanistan withdrawal disaster, real wages still a net loss when you factor in inflation. They're still angry at the same people. The Now the potential um, repeal, I guess you could say, of the Roe v. Wade decision, which, of course, that's not over. So, I mean, they are beside themselves. Nothing, nothing they were promised, none of the hope, the hope and change that started from the Obama administration, the Obama campaign of 2008, none of that has materialized. None of it. And they're getting, they're getting antsy. They're getting actually a whole lot more than antsy. They're, ter- they're, they're terribly upset. And so the latest thing happens, which is the decision. By the way, while I'm thinking about it, as you see, I just saw this yesterday in a poll tr- between uh, <laughs> Trump and Biden 2024. This poll was conducted by the by Rasmussen. It was sponsored by the Heartland Institute um, and a theoretical matchup between Biden and Trump. The, sur- <laughs> the survey has Trump up 14 points, 50 to 36. So not only is it a 15-point, 14-point deficit for Biden, Trump's also hit the magical number of 50, which I don't know that he ever did in 2020 polling. Um, but 50% in today's political climate is quite uh, is quite impressive. So I just wanted to say that while I'm thinking about it. So let's go back to this Roe versus Wade thing, right? The, the Supreme Court going through their processes, they actually wrote a draft of an opinion. It appears that it it seems that as right as of right now, it's a five to four vote. It's, it appears, but the vote isn't final. It's a process. The opinion is being written, or a draft of the the opinion has been written, and then someone took that opinion. Someone and Ted Cruz is right on this. There's there's twelve potential suspects here. Actually, I would probably say hmm, I want to be careful here, <laughs> but there's fifteen potential suspects here. Each Supreme Court justice has four, four clerks. I wasn't sure on the number. I knew it was more than one, but I didn't know how many. But there's four. And there's three liberal justices. We know this was released by some someone who's a leftist. This was not released by conservatives. Or I would be I don't know why a conservative would do that. It's let's say this. It's someone who's pro choice pro Roe versus Wade that released this Um, and it seems glaringly obvious to me that that's one of the four clerks for the three liberal Supreme Court justices or (laughs) I'm just I'm not making any accusation the the other obvious suspect would also be the three don't I don't want anybody putting words in my mouth I'm not making an allegation here but I'm just saying common sense would lead us to believe it's either the clerks or the justice. Now that would be a super bold move for the it's a super bold move for move for anyone to do. But those are the logical people that it can be just based upon who benefits from this and what's transpired 
since then. Again, no one read into that. I'm not saying that I think that happened, that a Supreme Court justice actually did it. But, I mean, it's it's someone in that circle, and they are in in that circle. And I just feel like it's important to just recognize that logically it has to be someone someone there. Again, not pointing the finger at anyone in particular, but there's 12 clerks and three justices um, who are trying someone there is trying to get a stir out of the out of the American people and mission accomplished on that front and that's what I want to get to here first today again I don't want anything read into I don't want to be misunderstood I'm not saying that that's what happened I'm saying that it's someone who has the position of protecting Roe versus Wade and there's a limited number of people who have access to this to this document maybe someone someone in that circle leaked it to someone who then leaked it to you know to the media i don't know the steps but someone in that initial circle had to be the weak point here the the, the point at which this thing left the supreme court and got its way into the hands of someone who ended up getting it uh, published by politico so what's happened since then well I'm glad you ask looking here um america excuse me, AmericanWireNews.com. This was published yesterday. Headline, you may have seen this, leftist, or, uh, leftist organized protests outside of homes of six extremist justices, as they refer to the conservatives, publish the addresses as court fence goes up. By the way, kudos to Washington, D.C. for actually recognizing when a fence really does need to go up, which is not during the Biden inauguration address when there were forty-five people out there. We had, remember we had we had uh, National Guard or whatever in in the U.S. Capitol for months, I think, and fences and all this designed for visual symbol uh, visual symbolism for the January sixth riots. They wanted you to think, oh my goodness, this country almost collapsed. We got fences up, even though fences. I didn't think worked when we use them on the southern border, but they work in D.C. We got National Guard troops um, in town, you know, and all this, you know, it was it was for political theater. That Nothing even remotely close came from that. But what's coming from this? What's coming from this? Well, this is a, there are protests that have been led by a group called, what are they called, Ruth? Ruth sent us. Is that what it's called? Ruth sent us, I think. Yeah, Ruth sent us. US is the, if you want to check out these radical, insane lunatics, Ruth sent us is the website. Um, with, who's Ruth, by the way? If you're someone who reads the Bible, your first thought might be the book of Ruth. And you might be wondering why Ruth would have sent these lunatics to Washington, D.C. No, that's not who they're talking about. They're talking about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. That's right. Ruth Bader Ginsburg sent this group. That's the name of the group. Ruth sent us is the name. It says here on the website, Ruth Bader Ginsburg spent her entire life moving the needle towards justice for all. She believed, and we believe, that women deserve trust. Okay. Black Lives Matter, Love is Love, and No Human is Illegal. 
Our 6-3 to three extremist Supreme Court routinely issues rulings that hurt women, racial minorities, LGBTQ+. I don't see the IA tagged on there. That's probably a form of hate speech in and of itself. And immigrant rights. We must rise up to force accountability using a diversity of tactics. Join our private Facebook group if you're interested. If you're still on evil Facebook, actually, that's something we can agree upon. They don't say anything about Twitter. Did they not get the memo yet that Musk is going to be running Twitter? In fact, Musk is going to be the interim CEO of Twitter. I, I am just, I can't wait for this, according to reports anyway. So, um, this group, Ruth sent us, took a map, posted the personal home addresses of the six conservative, as they they say, uh, extremist judges, justices. And it's right here on the map. Um, There's there's a little map, like an Apple or Google map, I guess. I mean, it shows Neil Gorsuch home over here, Brett Kavanaugh's house over here, Amy, just says Amy Barrett. I don't know if that's what, that's not respectful of women. But Amy Coney Barrett is... Kind of on the, uh, she's on the Virginia side, it looks like. And where are the others? There's others, um, Clarence Thomas. They had all of them. There it is. Jenny and Clarence Thomas, they're down down here. And um, who am I missing? John Roberts. Is he on here? I think they put all six. Yeah, it's somewhere. I'm not, well, I thought it was. Maybe there's just five. It says six here. Let me zoom in. Maybe a couple of them look so close to, to one another that there's only one little pin. I'm not seeing it. Anyway, but that's what they, um, they've posted. They've posted their addresses. They've put little pins on maps. What do you think the point of this is? What? I mean, keep in mind, if we want to be consistent with how the media has portrayed January 6th, there's already more here. Hear me say this. There is already more here that would indicate that this group is encouraging violence when we're comparing it to what Donald Trump did. I mean, Donald Trump didn't post um, personal addresses of members of Congress. He didn't do that. He said, let's go to the Capitol building, march to the Capitol building, and make our voices known peacefully. He did say peacefully as well. I thought this might. I thought this somewhere did say peaceable, peaceful. I don't see it as I'm reading it now. I, I, I thought I saw it earlier. There it is. Yep, at the homes of the six extremist justices, three in Virginia and three in Maryland. That's a weird sentence. If you'd like to join or lead a peaceful protest, there's that word peaceful. Let us know. So they are at least. Well, this is still more aggressive. Than Trump, they use the same. They use peaceful, which Trump used, but again, Trump didn't dox anybody. So this is literally where we are. They, they, their first, their first line of defense in stopping Roe versus Wade. Make no mistake about this, is to intimidate, intimidate the justices. Hope that they change their votes out of fear. This is taking a playbook directly from Maxine Waters, who says, "Don't let them eat in peace." Remember this. When talking about the Trump administration a few years ago, get up in their faces, I think was said at another point. So that's what this is about. I mean, why do we need to protest at their houses? 
right? I mean, this this is personal space. This isn't this isn't some sort of a public symbolic protest at that point. This is getting up in people's space with the intent here, the unspoken intent to say, "Hey, we know where you live." Wink, wink. This is this is pitiful. I mean, so much more, so much more aggressive and so much more to this phase of protests in D.C., to this particular uh, series of protests or whatever, than anything we saw with Trump when he said to about January 6th to, to march down to the Capitol to make your voices known peace, peaceably, peacefully. So that's the first step. They've got other steps as well. They've lost... They've lost the radical left, whatever is left of their of their minds here, um, in response to this. So, step number one: expose the justices, tell everyone where they live, try to get people to organize protests outside their homes, and of course, whether they directly state this or not, this is this is intended to intimidate these justices into doing what John Roberts did, which I pointed out earlier this week but to do what John Roberts did in 2012 as it pertains to the um, well, so-called Affordable Care Act, ACA, Obamacare, when Justice Roberts, as he was writing the majority opinion, appears to have changed his vote midstream or somewhere in the process of writing that opinion. And since he was writing the opinion for the majority, he simply kept the same opinion that he was writing for the majority that would have overruled part of uh, ACA, and he continued writing, continued writing it from the perspective of uh, upholding the Ameri- uh, Affordable Care Act, so-called Affordable Care Act, back in back in 2012. So they're hoping, they're hopeful that that'll that this will have the same results. Now they're certainly not convinced that it will, and that's why they have a series of <laughs> a couple of other steps. My favorite is the last one. There's four other steps that they have here, part of their their five pronged approach. Now, this is they haven't come out and said this directly, but this is what I've ascertained from reading uh, the news and listening to the crazy stuff they're saying. But this is all in response to Roe v. Wade. We'll go through that next segment, then get to the other things I promised you we would get to this week. Quick time out, my friends. Back here in just a minute. <laughs> back my friend just going through the strategy here if you want to call it that that the radical left has employed or plans to employ on stopping roe versus wade so the first one is to dox the justices to intimidate them to scare them to get them to change their votes out of fear the second one is to stack stack the supreme court they don't like this five to four vote maybe six to three whatever they don't like that so let's stack the Supreme Court. Remember, as I said earlier this week, all these issues that we've talked about uh, pertaining to the balance of power, kind of the, I don't know, the mechanics of how D.C. runs, um, all these things from stacking the Supreme Court to just getting rid of the filibuster, things like that, all are back into play again. So if they can't intimidate the justices and they say, well, then we're going to change the rules. We're going to stack. We're going to stack the Supreme Court. There's people calling for this in the wake of they've been calling for it anyway. 
But in the wake of the Roe v. Wade or this decision that pertains to Roe v. Wade, they say, hey, now's the time we need to do this. The next step, if they can't get that accomplished, which, look, that's not going to be something um, they can... They, I shouldn't ever say they can't accomplish or that this is something they cannot accomplish, but, uh, I mean, it's they would have to put Chuck Schumer's interns on this, you know, for months to figure out some loophole that no one else can find. But, again, I don't put it past them. The next is to pass a law that actually codifies, codifies Roe versus Wade. So, the court is going, you know, they think it's going to rule this particular direction and overthrow part all of, of Roe versus Wade, what have you, making it go back to the states. They don't like that. They, the radical left. So in an effort to do something about it, they're actually going to, well, try to pass a law that takes the Roe versus Wade ruling and puts it into the puts it into law. So they're calling for a vote on this. Um I think on I see Monday. I think it was Monday. Sometime uh, maybe maybe it's a Wednesday of next week now that I'm looking at this. I'm seeing Wednesday. So but they're moving as quickly as possible. And of course since the filibuster rule, which that's the next thing they want to do, they, they know they don't have the votes, so it's going to be a symbolic vote. Again, this is to this is to resonate with their base. This is to say that we you know we tried to save this. This is about dramatizing it. This is about making Republicans. They're going to try to make Republicans look like they're taking away the rights of women. This is just a terrible, terrible violation of human rights. They're going to. They're going to tell us they have been telling us, and so they can't pass it with a simple majority because it won't be able to come through the Senate because they'll need 60 votes because of the filibuster, right? Again, just really quickly, the filibuster, it's it's something that um, can be it's something that can be implemented in the final stage um, before a vote goes to the floor of the Senate. This is just in the Senate only. So the filibuster... Basically, filibustering means um, not enough senators vote to end the the debate on a particular bill or issue. So that rule requires 60 votes to, it's called invoke cloture, and to call a bill to vote. If they don't get 60 votes, it can stay in this, I don't know, this... Um, <laughs> this nebulous, I guess, called the filibuster. It doesn't, it just doesn't get to a vote. And so there's not 60 votes. So then the next call, since I can't pass Roe versus Wade, is going to be to throw out the filibuster. They've already done, they've cycled through this, the, these options a few times. So the next thing is to, to throw out the filibuster, right? So get, now what's interesting is you just need a majority vote um, to change the rules. So you can go back to the rules have a majority vote, and in theory change the vote, uh, change the rules on the filibuster, eliminating the filibuster. They could do this in a number of ways. They could completely eliminate it. They could say that, um, you know, for this Roe v. Wade law, you know, we're only going to do it this one time or whatever, right? This is this is kind of how they're going to try to go about, well, doing this. They've already tried this. Joe Manchin, 
and Kirsten Cinema both have come out and said we're not in favor of that, so they don't have 50 votes to change the rules, which would eliminate the filibuster, which means in order to pass a Roe versus Wade law, they're going to need 60 votes. And so I've been waiting to get to this. I am... This entertains me to no end, my friends. This, to me, this shows... <laughs> this shows how bizarre, desperate... Um, I mean, this this is good comedy. And I know they don't mean it to be good comedy, but it is good comedy. This is from, from The View. That's right. You heard me right. From The View. We haven't, we haven't actually outlawed uh, The View on here or put a ban on The View, but uh, maybe we should from some of the silly things they seemingly say all the time. Um, I feel like, it's killing brain cells even as we subject ourselves to this stuff. But Joy Behar, good old Joy Behar, never disappoints. Hold on here. I'm 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 queuing this up here. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm queuing this up. I'm making sure I start at the right spot as I'm talking to you. But this they have another plan. They have another plan if they can't stop the bill, which it doesn't appear that they can. So I am going to cue this up the best I can. I didn't jot down the exact time. It's around here, so bear with me as I cue this bad boy up. Joy Behar, her plan. (laughs) Oh, you're going to love this. Here it is. Don't think this is just a war on women. It could be a war on... People love. of color yeah. and gay people. Love. And also, he, he said he backtracked that. He said he misunderstood the question. But he had, he had agreed with his own statement ten times, you know, or this so before. This is another so, comment I don't buy she's the talking about. Well, the, other, the, other, the other point I want to make, because I just want to say this, is that this is the world, uh, women in the world have conducted sex strikes in history. In 2003, a sex strike uh, strike helped helped to end Liberia's brutal civil war. And the woman who charged, who Mm -hmm. started it, was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. In 2009, Kenyan women enforced a sex ban until political infighting ceased. Within one week, there was a stable government. Cheers from the audience over this. Then we think we have, and some of it could be right in the bedroom. Just there you go. So Joy Behar is calling for a sex strike. Sex strike. We if we can't if we can't intimidate the justices, if we can't uh, you know dox them and make them afraid, if we can't get the Supreme Court stacked to vote the way we want them to vote, if we can't pass a Roe versus Wade law by Congress, which of course, by the way, if they wanted to deal with this, they could have done this at any point in time since. Well, they could have tried to since 1973. Just they act like they're um, they've been helpless here and blindsided. But they could have done that. And to be honest, as as terrible as that would have been, I at least feel like passing a law would have been better than what we had, which was the court creating something out of whole cloth when they made this decision back nearly 50 years ago. So if they can't pass the law, then they're going to throw out the filibuster. If they can't throw out the filibuster and pass the law and stack SCOTUS and dox our justices and make them change their votes out of pure fear, then Joy Behar's got the answer, women. Joy Behar's got the answer. Stop having sex. Go on a sex strike. That is where we are in today's, in today's 
2022 political discourse calling for sex strikes as though all women are pro-choice. This is bizarre to me, especially listening to it coming um, from I, just this show and the things they say, Joy Behar, Whoopi's on there too. This is just uh, bizarre stuff. Entertains me to no end. But anyway, I just wanted to share with you their five-pronged approach, which of course ends with women withholding sex. And that, of course, will stop Roe versus Wade from being overturned. Quick time out, my friends. You're listening to the home of conservative, not bitter talk. I am your host, Todd Huff, back here in just a minute. Welcome back, my friends. So the next thing I want to discuss here, shifting gears just a tad bit, something we haven't hit on yet, maybe indirectly a couple of times, but not in depth. Um, I raised the question earlier in the week, or it may have been yesterday even, um, talking about this idea with abortions or this argument that says, you know, in fact, they've done polling on this. You know, should abortion be permitted always, never, some of the time, most of the time, only when the life of the mother is at risk or some life life and health of the mother is at risk. Um, so I, I've done a little research, and I sent me something, too, that I looked at. But I went back. This is an old article. This is in USA Today from 2012. Headline was, Doctors Say Abortions Do Sometimes Save Women's Lives. Now, I have to tell you, now I'm someone who, th- I try to think about these things logically. Um, of course, by the way, if a woman is pregnant, just for the record, actually, even if someone's not pregnant, as a general rule of thumb, I think a person's health should always be the pri- priority of a medical care uh, professional. Right, that should be the priority. So, just want to make sure that everyone is abundantly clear up front that, well, the Hippocratic Oath kind of demands that we try not to, we try to help and not to harm. I mean, that's kind of the whole point of this. So, I just, I find myself asking the question: Is that ever really necessary? And so, I just want to say up front: I understand uh, that continuing. Or being pregnant can create conditions that make uh, that that can sometimes be dangerous for a mother, or potentially even life threatening for a mother, deadly for a mother. That's that's abs- I I fully understand that, um, and that's a terrible situation for any expectant mother to be in. Any uh, anyone to find themselves in that position. So. I understand that that can happen, but what I what I find myself questioning is why it's ever necessary to kill proactively kill an unborn baby in order to save the life of the mother. See, in my mind, again, I'm not a do- I'm not a doctor, but I think about it like this: It's like if they're let's say you're 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 in a raft, right? You you're you're on the Titanic and your ship sunk, and everybody gets in the raft. But there's too many. There's too much weight, and the raft's taken on water. Um, is the only solution to kill someone that's on the raft? That just seems preposterous to me. I think that there's other ways that, by the way, could end uh, in someone having extreme, you know, harm or even death. 
uh, inflicted upon them, you know, like I find myself thinking, couldn't someone, you know, get out into the water, maybe just keep their hand on the boat, not pulling it down to staying close. And you think, well, what about the water temperature? You know, would they, what if it's going to lead to hypothermia? Could people rotate? I mean, you know, based upon the health and condition of other people on that raft, maybe someone in the group would just say, you know what, I'm willing to take the the chance i'm going to jump in i want you guys to stay safe all sorts of things could happen i just feel like it's a false choice to say the only option there is to off one of the people on the raft because there's too many people too many people on it right and so in my mind and my way of thinking i think shouldn't if we say look the, the mother's body can no longer handle a pregnancy she's in very bad condition Something has to be done. Why? I, again, maybe I'm wrong. Although I, what Aza sent me kind of reinforces this very thing. I mean, to me, you say, let's stabilize the mother, take care of the mother, and then we try to save the baby. Maybe we're not successful. Maybe we can't even get far down that process. Maybe by the actions of making sure we save the mother, maybe some of the consequences lead to the death of, of the unborn child, which is terrible, which would make the mother feel awful, right? I mean, but to say the only option is to proactively kill the unborn child just seems a little bit preposterous to me. By the way, the most premature baby ever to survive outside, you know, outside of the mother's womb was 21 weeks and one day. So, you think about that, and that's where we are today. Where are we going to be in another five years, another 10 years? Um, it, just, it doesn't seem logical to me to say that in order to save a mother's life, the baby must be killed. I get you say, focus on saving the mother. If the, if the consequences of, of taking that action lead to the death of the baby, that's a different thing. That intent is, is very important in situations like this. I, may, maybe I'm wrong. May, again, I'm not a doctor, but I just feel like this doesn't make sense to me. I'm open to understanding that. I really am. I don't want anyone to be have their life, you know, put into danger and not be able to do any some, uh, something about it. I don't think that that's that's a that is clearly then a choice you have to prioritize um, based upon uh, what the the mother would want to do or the actions she would want uh, to to take. So, with that in mind, I want to also continue this after the break and go to a story that was written at the Washington Examiner opinion piece written by, I've seen this, uh, what is her name? Lila Rose. She's a, a pro-life, uh, pro-life spokesperson, and she wrote an article or an op-ed a couple of years ago that's titled, entitled, Abortion is ne- Never Medically Necessary. So, Going to talk about that on the other side of the break. Quick time out, my friends. Listening to Conservative Not Better Talk. I'm your host, Todd Huff. Back in just a minute. Welcome back, my friends. So let's get to this article really quickly in the time we have remaining. Again, this is Lila Rose, an op-ed she wrote in the Washington Examiner 
couple of years ago, February 2019, she writes, uh, well, abortion is never medically necessary, is what she, the, the title of this piece is. She says, one of the most common offenses of late-term abortion is the claim that in some cases abortion is medically necessary. Lately, Americans have been hearing this claim in defense of a law in New York that allows abortions through all nine months of pregnancy. That claim is based on faulty assumptions. Um, sorry, my screen jumped there. That was weird. Uh, faulty assumptions. Where did that go? There we go. About the options available to women who face life-threatening pregnancy complications. The truth is, known to thousands of OBGYNs worldwide, is that there is no situation in which an abortion is medically necessary. The false idea that late-term abortion is sometimes necessary for health reasons has been knit into American cultural discourse since 1973 when the Supreme Court decision in Doe versus Bolton the companion case to Roe v. Wade introduced the definition of health, so sweeping that it effectively eliminated all restrictions on abortion. Today, she continues, Americans are so used to hearing that abortion must be legal to protect the health of the mother that it may be difficult to fathom that there are truly no medical situations in which abortion, the direct intentional killing of a preborn baby, is necessary to save a woman's life. But it's true, she writes. Over a thousand OBGYNs and maternal health care experts joined together to affirm this reality in the Dublin Declaration, which states, quote, as experienced practitioners and researchers in obstetrics and gynecology, we affirm that direct abortion, the purposeful destruction of the unborn child, is not medically necessary to save the life of a woman. We uphold that there is a fundamental difference between abortion and necessary medical treatments that are carried out to save the life of the mother, even if such treatments result in the loss of life of her unborn child. We confirm that the prohibition of abortion does not affect in any way the availability of optimal care to pregnant women. Again, that's, that's all I'm going to read. So that just echoes uh, what I was saying earlier. By the way, Oz also, I meant to say this last segment, but... Oz actually is kind of digging this idea um, for pro-choice women to engage in uh, withholding sex from their partners because she, she thinks that that might be the quickest way to get to zero abortions in in uh, in the country. I mean, after all, everyone who's pro-choice isn't engaging in activities that could lead to pregnancy. Then I guess maybe we get there by default. So. She might be right about that. I'm going to take a quick timeout, my friends. You're listening here to the home of conservative, not better talk. I am your host, Todd Huff, back in just a minute. All right, my friend. The other thing I wanted to get to this week, I just, I don't, we touched on it earlier. Um, I don't have time to do it. And I don't have time also to talk too much about do you see that clip of um, Biden a couple of days ago there was a Paralympian and he had, I don't know, they were on stage and Biden after acknowledging the Paralympian actually yelled, don't jump. And I, I mean it gave me a flashback. I do think after watching the clip I think he was yelling out to his someone who was taking photos in the background. That's what I think he was, or at least that's what they wanted to pass it off as. 
But my oh my, I mean this this stuff. Gaff doesn't do that justice. I mean that is, you know, just completely and utterly insensitive. And I, I mean, everything they wanted you to believe Trump was times times five million. So anyway, I just wanted to touch on that as well. But folks, it's all the time that we have for this week. As always, if you listen to part of the show and not all of it you can always go and download full-length episodes as a podcast for absolutely free you can go to toddhuffshow.com slash listen toddhuffshow.com slash podcast and you can get information on that but i've got to go have a wonderful weekend we will see you monday sdg